Romans 14, 1 through 12 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Romans 14, 1 through 12. Hear now the words of the Lord. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Those are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. He was born in 1948, and early on, he felt and sensed a call to ministry. So there in Savannah, Georgia, what he did is he told his grandfather, Hey, I, I, would, I want to go to seminary. So his grandfather sat him down, and he said to him, If I pay, you better not shame me, and you're going to stay. He sent his son off to an all-white seminary. His name is Clarence Thomas. So Clarence Thomas walks in in the fall of 1964 in his first day of seminary. It's a Catholic seminary and he's beginning to study to be a priest. He recalls a few events that really marked his entire life. He remembered being on the basketball court with four other of his classmates. They said, hey, let's play a game of pickup. And as normal, they said the first person to shoot, the first couple people to shoot, they pick the teams. Clarence Thomas steps up to the free throw line. Boom, he knocks down the shot. He's the first to hit a shot. So obviously, he gets to pick a team. And before he could get a word out of his mouth, his four white classmates walked to the other side of the court and began playing two-on-two without him. He recalled an event of pulling one of the TVs, the school TVs, into a classroom. Uh, they, They wanted to watch the Cleveland Browns on TV. This was the day of Jim Brown. Jim Brown was in his prime in the 60s. So they're watching Jim Brown on TV, and in the middle of an amazing run, one of his classmates blurt out, Look at that nigger run. Look at that nigger run. 
He recalled this same classmate a few days later would pass him a note in class and on the front of that note, it reads reads these words. I love Dr. Martin Luther King. He flipped open the note and it said one word, dead. Dead. This makes me think about how impossible it could be that all of these students are pursuing the same thing. They're in seminary together, studying to be priests. They are pursuing the same thing, but yet one of these students would get looked down upon. They're supposed to be on the same team, right? But yet some of them are being looked down upon like Clarence Thomas. What sense does that make? They're supposed to be on the same team. They're running in the same direction, pursuing the same goal. They're on the same team. But yet, when we come to our text this morning, that's exactly what we're going to see. We're going to see people who Paul is talking to who are, get this, on the same team. They believe in the same Jesus. They're pursuing the same goal, but yet they are radically different. And Paul is going to give them some instructions this morning. I want us to see three main ideas. The first, don't break fellowship over non-essentials. Don't break fellowship over non-essentials. Secondly, we have to understand what matters most is that we are His. We are His. And lastly, at the end of the day, we will all answer to God. We will all answer to God. I've entitled this message, Don't You Look Down on Me. Don't look down on me. Why don't you turn to somebody, tell two people, Don't look down on me. 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 Before we go to work, I want to pray for our time together. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. The psalmist David declared that it is sweeter than the honey of a honeycomb. And I pray that your word would guide us and direct us, that your word would pull us closer to you this morning, O oh God. Teach us through your word. Holy Spirit, would you be present? Would you anoint this time, God? Would you lead us? Would you move me out of the way? Pray that your words would be spoken and not my own. God, you have not promised to bless my meek words, but you've promised to bless your words. So I pray that you would do just that. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for every mother that's here. Father, I pray for the ones that this day brings up bad memories, and I pray for them this morning, God, that you would give strength, that you would give hope. that you would show them that there is a brighter day to come. One day there will, you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more mourning. But thank you, Father, for how you have gifted moms to us who work so diligently to instill principles in us that matter. And so, Father, I pray that we would be grateful, um, even if our mothers are no longer around, that we would be grateful for the legacy that they have left for us. Thank you for who you are this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So up to this point, um, Paul's primary message uh, has repeated over and over through, through his letter to the church of Rome. 
Uh, he's told us, Romans chapter 3, that we all are sinful, that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And he told us that because of that sin, Romans 6, because of that sin, what we deserve is death. And that's not just a physical death, but that's an internal separation from the Father. Paul continues and he gives us an answer for our sin. He makes it extremely clear that the only way that we can be declared righteous is by grace alone, through faith alone, and by Christ alone. He tells us that. And he is repeating the same message over and over again. That you cannot work for your salvation. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and through Christ alone. There is no, that, that is the only way to obtain true righteousness. Paul then transitions from what we've called, what we've said to tell us, he, from, he transitions from telling us what we have to know to what we ought to do. What we have to know to what we ought to do. He tells us in chapter 12 that we ought to be living sacrifices. And what Paul means by that is that we have to give over our whole selves to God. And then Paul goes on this rant about love. He tells us to love some of everybody. Everybody and their mama, he tells us to love. He tells us to love our enemies. He tells us to love our neighbors. He tells us to love one another, folk that are sitting right next to us. He tells us to love. Our passage comes on the heels of Paul telling us to love, to love, to love. What we see in chapter 14, we see a family meeting. And I call it a family meeting because Paul is speaking to specifically believers. He's he's not talking to people who haven't put their whole faith in Jesus. And I want you to understand this. Paul is talking to church folk. People who claim the name of Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking to this morning. In our text, what you need to know is Paul is dealing with a very diverse group of people. See, the church was never meant to be some kind of country club filled with all of me. Neither was it meant to be filled with all of you. And so the group that Paul is addressing here is a very, very, very diverse group. You've got some who have been raised up in the Judaism tradition. And you've got some who've been raised up in more pagan traditions. And those who have been raised up in Judaism have come to saving faith in Jesus. And those who have been raised up in pagan traditions have come to faith in, in, in Jesus Christ. And now, here you have this diverse body, culturally and racially, that are worshiping together. And then... You know what you get when you get diversity of folk worshiping together? You get mess. You just get mess. You get the feeling of being uncomfortable. And that's what we're dealing with here in the text. Some are used to doing certain things. They're used to eating certain things. Uh, they're, they're used to doing certain things. And, and they can't just put those things off to the side when they come to saving faith in Jesus They bring them to the table. But they still want to worship. So Paul says, first he says, don't break fellowship over non-essentials. Don't break fellowship. Look at verses 1 through 5 with me. It says it this way. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despises the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains... Pass judgment on the one who eats, 
for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I love what's happening here in this text. Paul says, there are some folk who are used to eating chitterlings. Chitlins. There are some folk who are used to eating hog mog and pig feet. And there are some folk who are used to eating neck bones and, and, and they just don't care. But then there are some folks who only eat bird food and salad. Now nah, I'm just joking. <laughs> We've got all of these different dietary things. And Paul says... God has welcomed them. Paul says, you ought to welcome them because God has welcomed them. And so often what we see here, Paul is addressing this because you get those who are raised in more pagan traditions and they sit down that slab of ribs. And those who were raised in the Judaism tradition, uh, they're, they're turned off by that. And in their minds... Their prideful mind begins to start cooking. How dare you eat that kind of food in my presence? And what they're doing in their hearts is they're, they're essentially saying, we have to work to, to gain God's acceptance. Huh? The things that we eat, we work, or the places that we go, we, we need to really work to gain God's acceptance. And Paul is turning that entire thing on his on its head, Paul saying, don't you dare judge. Don't you dare look at them with condemnation. He's helping them. Um, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that um, because you like to sleep around, nobody should judge you. I'm not saying because you love to indulge in smoking weed, uh, nobody should judge you. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is specifically talking about non-essentials. And what, what, what are you saying? Um, a weed is, is natural. It's natural, right? It comes from the ground. It's illegal in Memphis, Tennessee. You, you, do, you do know that, right? Um, what, what, what are you saying? Uh, what, I mean, we, we just love each other. And this is what, how we're expressing our love. So we sleep around with each other. We're, we're expressing love with one another. Don't judge me. That's not what Paul is saying here. That is not what he's saying. In fact, if you look right before our passage, what you really see Paul saying is, Be holy. Walk in holiness. Be holy. Live a sanctified life. That's what Paul is saying. So, so don't put your mess in this text here. He's saying, don't judge for those non-essentials. If you want to worship on Saturday, worship on Saturday if you love Jesus. If you want to eat hog, mog, and pig feet, do it if you love Jesus. If you want to pull out a cigar and smoke a cigar. Do it if you, if you love Jesus. If you want to grab a glass of wine, do it if you love Jesus without indulging. Doing it with moderation. And if you don't, 
Do not look down upon somebody else because they do. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you know, have, you have no right to do that. Um, somebody may say, you know what? Uh, I've chosen to live in the hood and, and I just kind of, the people who live in the suburbs, that just, that just rubs me the wrong way. How dare you? This is what Paul is talking about here. Because you have chosen to live in the hood, in the inner city neighborhood, don't project that responsibility on somebody else. Or because you have chosen to live in the suburbs, don't project that responsibility on somebody else. I love this. this is, he's all up in our business. Just wrecking the house for us. If, if you have chosen to send your kids to public schools, don't make it seem like everybody got to send their kids to public schools. If you've chosen to only send your kids to private schools, don't, don't turn your nose up at me because I chose to send my kids to public schools. That's what Paul is saying. This is non-essential stuff. Now, if you want to talk about the deity of Christ and, and you don't believe in the deity of Christ, you don't believe that Jesus is actually God, and, and you want to say to me, don't judge you, oh, yes, I will. Paul is talking about non-essential things here. So he's talking. It's like in a marriage. It's like in a marriage. Y'all know I'm an expert on marriage, right? Since I, um, but I'm going to use this anyway. It's like in a marriage. You get married and two people are becoming one, right? Two people who maybe lived separately for many years and all of a sudden they're coming into the same house. Now, you buy this brand of bacon, but, but I'm used to buying this brand. Why in the world would you buy this brand of dishwashing detergent? That's idiotic. Uh, why would you squeeze the toothpaste this way? Why, why would you do that? What, I mean, what, why in the world are you expecting to eat dinner at this time? We, we should never do that. Non-essential stuff. But if you're in a marriage and you say... Don't sleep around. Oh, don't you judge me. What? I'm going to judge you. I'm, I'm condemning you for that. This is what Paul is challenging us with. Are you condemning others because they are different than you? Are you more known for your love and embracing difference? And secondly, Paul says, we are his. We are his. Verse 6 through 9. Look at this with me. It says this, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For then... For this end, Christ died and lived again. He might be the Lord. He might be the Lord both of the dead, of both the dead and of the living. Paul says, "Don't look down upon each other, because each of you belong to the Lord." I need you to hear this, especially in our context. Um, people walk different lives. They come from different places. 
And what Paul is saying here, that's a beautiful thing. Because we all belong to the Lord. We are His. Whether we live or whether we die, whether we eat hog mog or whether we eat like birds, we are His if our faith is in Jesus Christ. We belong to Him. And I love what Paul is doing here is because he is consistently poking and challenging what makes them comfortable. Ever felt that before? Paul is just nudging them in areas that make them comfortable. Doesn't matter what day you prefer the Sabbath on, he's saying. Doesn't matter what you decide to eat. Whatever you do, worship the Lord in doing it. However you take your Sabbath, worship the Lord. Honor the Lord in doing so. See, the sooner a person recognizes that everything we have and everything we are belongs to the Lord Jesus, the sooner we realize that everything we have and everything we are must be lived to the glory of the Lord Jesus, the better off we'll be. Everything we have, everything we are, belongs to Him, even our very lives. Paul makes sure we know that where Jesus' Lordship comes from. He says this, Christ died and Christ lived again that He might be Lord over the dead and over the living. See, Jesus is worthy of our worship because Christ died and because He lived again. Jesus is worthy of our honor because Christ died and because He didn't stay dead, He lived again. Jesus is worthy of us belonging to Him. He's worthy of our faith in Him. Why? Because Christ died and because He lived again. He didn't stay dead. And over and over again, even in our text here, Paul is making a beeline to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, you know why, whether you live or whether you die, you belong to the Lord? is because Christ died and because Christ lived again. You know why it doesn't really matter what you eat or when you take your Sabbath? or You know why this stuff doesn't matter? Because Christ died and because He lived again. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that Jesus decided to stand in my place for my sin, my shame, my guilt, every bit of my brokenness. And He gave up His life. He was obedient to the Father. And He was put in a borrowed tomb. He didn't stay there, but He rose again on the third day. Christ died. Y'all better say amen or something. Preaching to myself. My goodness, Christ died, and He lived again. Amen. 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 Because Jesus died, and because He rose again, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So rather than condemning others, we are free to love them. I remember um, reading about this story some time ago. And it's Mother's Day, so it's fitting. Um, uh, a mom walks into Walmart with her two-year-old kid. And any mom who has ever had to shop with the kids, you know how it goes. They usually decide to act up when you get out someplace. 
So this mom is moseying around Walmart. Um, she's going aisle to aisle, getting all of her things. And the two-year-old just gets restless. Two-year-old starts to act up, right? Um, so she's going aisle from aisle, getting all the things that she needs to get, trying to make it quick. And the two-year-old loses it, screaming and yelling in one of the aisles. This elderly man sees what's happening and walks up to mom and says to her, true story, if you don't shut that kid up, I'll do it for you. What the, bro, what, who are you talking to? That's what I would have been thinking. So this mom, I'm sure she's a little taken back, and so uh, she pushes her cart to a different aisle, and they begin going aisle from aisle to, to get all of the things that she needs, and this kid didn't stop. This two-year-old kid, true story, didn't stop and is just going on and on and on. About four aisles down, she runs into this elderly guy again. And this guy sees her in the aisle. This kid is still going crazy. And this guy, this elderly guy, walks up to this mom, sees her two-year-old kid, lifts his hand and open hand slaps the kid. Yes! Now, I, I, I know, you know, some of y'all probably never had a fight in your life, but you would have thought y'all were in UFC that day. Some of y'all would have been fighting. We would have saw y'all on the news. Um, the guy gets arrested, of course. But here he is taking the responsibility upon himself to act for this mother. And wh- why is this so crazy? First of all, he open hand slaps the kid. But second of all, this kid does not belong to him. This kid is not his. He, he, he can't just do that. He can't just treat this child in any kind of way because this child doesn't belong to him. And that's what Paul is saying. How dare you treat something that belongs to the Lord any kind of way? The person sitting next to you does not belong to you. You didn't give them breath. And Paul says you can't treat them any kind of way. You, you can't talk to them any kind of way because they don't belong to you. And I love what he's saying here. He's saying whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's and the person next to you does not own you. As it relates to those non-essentials, we are the Lord's. And everything we do ought to be worshipful to Him. Ought to be, we ought to be living sacrifices to Him. We don't have the right to, to, to proverbially slap somebody else in the mouth. Because we belong to the Lord. Jesus died and rose again so that our authority, all authority and lordship belongs to Him. Lastly, don't look down on anyone Because we will all answer to God. We will all answer to God. Look at verse 10 through 12 with me. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is extremely sobering. Very, very sobering message here. Paul is saying, you have tried for too long to be on the throne. 
It's time for you to get off the throne, stop trying to be in control, and let God be God. He's the only one who can sit on the throne. Paul says, we, including himself, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's some sobering news. And I don't know about you, as I was studying this passage this week, it just nudged me over and over again that we will stand before the judgment seat of God. And I just remember hearing, you know, folks say just flippantly, um, don't judge me, only God can judge me. Do you really want God to judge you? Do you really want to stand before a perfect, holy, and a righteous God? Is that your desire? Do you really want to stand before a righteous and a holy God alone? What Paul is saying is that Jesus lived, He died, and He rose again, that you and I may not have to stand alone before a holy and a righteous God. We don't have to be judged alone. But with us comes the power of the Holy Spirit. With us comes the perfect and the pleasing blood of Jesus Christ. And that's good news for us this morning. Paul reminds us that the church should be careful about how they treat their brothers and sisters in Christ because it's not that they might give an account, but that they will give an account. That it's coming. It's inevitable. It will happen. And I want to challenge you this morning. I know Paul is having a family meeting here, but we're also having a family meeting. I've got to ask you, do you know him? Because Paul says there is no might about standing before the throne to give an account. But he says you and I will one day stand before the throne and give an account for our lives. Do you know him? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord? Or are you still on the throne? Are you still holding on to the reins? Are you still in control? Paul says you are not in control because He is the only and the righteous judge. Get off the throne and let Jesus do His thing. We are not on the throne. We will give an account. The only person that holds the position of judge is God alone. Um, When I was probably about 15 years old, I worked at Auntie Anne's Pretzel Shop. Uh, Worked there for two years. Man, I was killing it. I got uh, employee of the month a couple times, you know. Uh Uh-huh. I got really fast at whipping those pretzels. That was, but my favorite was the cash register. I just enjoyed it. I, I, I just had a good time working the cash register. Now, when the line was all the way down the mall, that was, those were some hard days. But at the end of the day, after punching in all of those transactions, at the end of the day, I had to count my register. And every dime, guess who had to give an account for it? I did. I had to count all of the 20s and all of the 10s and all of the 50s. Every cent. I had to give an account for, and that's Paul's message to us, that every act we will have to give an account for. And but for Jesus, every single one of us are in trouble. We're in trouble. And I think when we 
stand under that realization that but for Jesus, every single one of us are in trouble. It changes our perspective when we look at somebody different than us. And I love this. It's like you don't even have to make this stuff up. Diversity is all over the Bible. Paul's saying, I've got some folks that were raised as Jews and some pagan folks that came to saving faith in Jesus. And I am challenging them to love one another and stop looking at one another with condemning faces. Because they are from different places. Because they are from different sides of the tracks. Yet I'm dumping them all in the same place and I'm charging them, I'm challenging them to love one another. Why? Because Jesus died. Because He rose again. Because He showed us love when we were undeserving of love. Because Jesus became unbeautiful for our mess. He stood in our place for our sin and He absorbed the wrath of God. He said yes to it. In fact, Jesus said Himself that nobody takes my life. I give it up willingly. That's love. That's love. And He calls us to extend that same kind of radical love to folk even that are different than us, that grew up different than us, that grew up on different diets than we grew up on, that that takes the Sabbath on a different day than we take the Sabbath, that lives in a different neighborhood, that sends their kids to different schools than we do. And what Paul says is, it's okay. It's non-essentials. Live life together. Worship together. Invite folk that are different than you to sit at your dinner table. Love them like Jesus has loved you. He calls us to love. The same radical message of love. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. That you've called us to love and that you've modeled it before us. You showed us love. And you didn't look down upon us. But you sent your only son to stand in our place for our sin. To consume your wrath, God. You sent Jesus. And He said yes to it. He was mocked. He was shamed on the cross of Calvary for our brokenness. And Father, I pray that there will be ones right here, right now, that would say yes to that kind of love. That would say yes to a God who would send Jesus For people who were nothing like Him. They would say yes to Him, but then extend that same great love to folk who are sitting right next to them right now, in front of them and behind them, that are from different places, have different stories. And that we wouldn't turn up our nose, God, but that we would freely love like Jesus has freely loved us. Now, God, I pray you would bless these tithes and these offerings that we're about to receive. I pray that you would use them for your kingdom and for your glory. That in downtown Memphis, that in South Bluff Homes, that in South Memphis and North Memphis, Lord, in West Memphis and Marion in Midtown and beyond, people would come to saving faith in Jesus through downtown church. 
And I pray, God, that you would send our people out as priests to minister the good news of Jesus Christ in the workplace, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their classrooms. Lord, let it be so. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.